Hello and welcome to the Organic Life Podcast. This is a show for those interested in eating and living in a healthier, more sustainable way. My name's Matthew and on this episode we are talking once again with nutritional therapist Carrie Temple of Strive. In the last episode we learned about the concept that food isn't just food, it's information and it really does sound like every bite that you take sets off a ton of biochemical processes in your body. Depending on what you eat and how often you eat it, these processes can be positive or negative and range from the subtle to the severe. So the next part of our conversation focuses on blood sugar and the role of insulin. These are terms that are commonly associated with conditions like diabetes. But I wanted to find out from Carrie why these things are important, not just for diabetics, but for everyone. Insulin kind of gets a real bad rap because we're, you know, it is related to, to diabetes and that is what we think of when we hear that word. But insulin is a part of our survival. We absolutely need it. It is a hormone that we use in the body to, to get energy or glucose into the cells. And without it, our survival just won't happen. Um, but we can have too much of in, too much insulin, and that's where it's a high sugar diet will actually cause high insulin. Um, but insulin is naturally a fat storing hormone. So again, I get a lot of clients in here who are not diabetic and type one or type two, um, because there is a significant difference with those two, and I can explain that in a second. But the type. Um, if you're high sugar you're going to be high insulin so you're naturally going to be fat storing so it's it's reversing that process to try and help somebody lose weight but again things that can spike insulin it's not just sugar so we can also go into a state called fight or flight so it's like you know it's that run away from danger it's that inherited um, mechanism to keep us safe but we're commonly in fight or flight most of the day especially in the western world you know we again we, we burn the candle at both ends we're constantly on the go we never sit down and we're active i mean say stress it's a stressor stressor so anxiety just running for the bus we've got deadlines we've got somewhere to be at that time we've got to put the wash on all these things and it's a constant never sitting down or we're constantly in fight or flight but that is a stimulant it causes the body to produce its own sugar so when we're producing our own sugar whether we've eaten sugar or, or not we can be high insulin. So that's why stress, for instance, can actually really contribute to, to some health conditions and, and diabetes, type 2 diabetes being that, being one of them. Um, so the, the two, the, you've got obviously your two types of diabetes. You've got type 1 and type 2. Type 1 is a, a, a smaller popu- a smaller part of the population and that is the one that, you know, is, is injecting insulin and it's, it's a matter of life or death, really. Um, type 2 is a lifestyle and diet disease. Um, it's our diet and lifestyle generally gets us into that position we become insulin resistant so we're still producing insulin but we're resisting it so remember when we were kids and you used to knock on the neighbor's door and run away that's kind of what was happening with type 2 diabetes so the insulin's there but this, the cells are ignoring it because they're just tired of the overburden of it um, and that's kind of what's happening so it's that high sugar or high stress, high complex, high simple carbohydrates, sorry, that can drive insulin, which then can contribute to many, many health conditions, but can also contribute to, to weight gain or the inability to lose weight. It sounds like a, a really vicious circle based on what you've said so far, because if being stressed is raising insulin and causing you to maybe store fat, but then you're on the starvation diet and you're stressing your body out that way, and then you're more irritable about everything, you're just 
basically on a, a downward spiral at that point, aren't you? Yeah, it really is a vicious cycle. And again, that's why within nutritional therapy, we look at all aspects of, of that individual. So yes, we look at the systems of the body and how those are working. But it's external factors as well. It's not just food in and food out or what we're eating and what we're not eating. It is very much about looking at that individual, looking at how much exercise they're getting, how much sleep they're getting, um, what are causing particular stresses in their life. Are they chronically stressed? Um, and again, stress can come from positive angles as well. You know, you get a lot of people nowadays are adrenaline junkies. You know, again, they are stressors, regardless of what makes you stressed or what causes my self-stress are very, very different, but it's your perception and how you react to those stressors um, and and knowing how to manage them. But again, if we are low sugar or high sugar, we can react to those situations very, very differently. I personally can get quite hangry. You know, so if I don't eat, I know that if something, there's something particularly bothering me, you know, it wouldn't normally bother me. It's just because I've maybe gone a little bit longer between meals. You know, I've maybe got stuff in clinic a bit longer than I would normally do or, you know, so I haven't eaten or I've gone longer than I should do by fueling myself. The external things around me can bother me more than they would on a normal day, if that makes sense. Um, so it's being able to manage those things better. So again, a, a well-balanced diet, eating regularly will manage blood sugar, can help manage insulin better um, and help my overall mood and general well-being just will, will settle more by, eating, by, by doing it that way, if you like. I like how Carrie uses the word hangry and this is a funny one because if we think about like when a baby's crying or raging about something, most folks will put that down to them just being hungry or a bit tired, but we rarely seem to apply that logic in adult life. If your usually placid workmate is snappy and biting your head off all afternoon, you'll probably start to think that you've upset them in some way. And in actual fact though, it's possible that they just need to go and eat a decent lunch. And if we apply that to ourselves too, this could be a good thing to keep in mind the next time you maybe feel yourself being a wee bit short-fused with someone. I think we're, we're so detached from ourselves and us as a being, we don't listen to our body enough. And it is just bringing awareness to lots of those things. So again, when I, when I go through the process with a client, sometimes it's all they need to do is write down a food diary and be aware, go, wow, you know, I didn't realise I ate that much or I never ate very much at all. You know, some people don't eat enough, um, you know, or they don't eat at regular intervals or, and again, you know, going back to you know saying things about how it affects your relationships and you know as as kids as babies you know my little boy's 20 months now and if he's not done his daily poo he won't eat you know it's, it's very much you know he's very in tune with his own body his body's learning as he goes but I, I look at him sometimes and I think oh you've not eaten your dinner but then I think bang oh yeah you've not you've not got rid of any waste you've not had a bowel movement so you've not done a poo so yeah of course you've got nowhere to put it but as as and as adults, we'll keep 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 eating, but a lot of people are constipated. You know, they become more toxic, so they're not their bowels aren't moving, but they're constantly putting more in, and nothing's going out. So we don't listen to our bodies enough, you know. And and that is something I try and, and teach clients. You know, just listen to your body. What does it need, and what what you need now? At you know, say the age of thirty is very different to what you need at sixty. So we don't have to eat the same diet all the time. It changes throughout our life. You know, what we have as a five-year-old to what we have as a six-year-old, sixteen-year-old, uh, sorry, to what we have in our you know, 40s is very different and it changes and that's absolutely fine. But as long as you're listening to the body and giving it what it needs, you can manage things better. Let's shift gears and talk a wee bit about medication then. 
These days, most folks are taking pills for ongoing conditions like indigestion, constipation, heartburn or chronic pain. If you go and see your doctor about this stuff, they'll write you a prescription for something that could be great at treating symptoms, but it's good to know that with nutritional therapy, there are routes towards looking into prevention rather than cure. You know, unfortunately, GPs, NHS system, is they just don't have enough time to sit down with an individual to be able to explain these kind of things. And some of them aren't aware of how how diet has an impact. That's not what they learn about, you know, at medical school. And that's just a really unfortunate um, situation. But there are options out there. You don't always have to take medication. And yes, medication can be life-saving and it's absolutely essential at points in your life. But the, when things become chronic or, you know, something just comes kind of comes out of the blue and it's not an infection and it's not life-threatening, if you can sit back and kind of look at your life and diet has a massive impact on everything. Um, you know, intolerances, for instance, you know, we can be intolerant to dairy for most of our life and not realise it because we just think that having a little bit of diarrhoea or constipation here and there is just normal but it doesn't have to be um, so when you go back to medication you know heartburn for instance probably given something like a meprazole um, you know uh, it, it basically stops the body for the stomach from producing stomach acid that short term can be a problem solver but long term it can actually exacerbate certain problems and, and actually cause further health implications unfortunately um, so things that can cause heartburn for instance you know it can be diet so it can be things like wine cheese coffee but other, th- other thing again it's going back to stress stress can be a real driver of heartburn so it's maybe come out of the blue and it may be that there's a it could be that there's one thing that's got particularly stressful in your life or it could be just a combination of things and things are starting to get a bit overwhelming and you start to get this little bit of acid reflux and heartburn but obviously it can get worse and again, if you don't look at the cause of the problem, rather than sticking a Band-Aid on it, you know, that there's there's a difference there. Hay fever and things, you know, allergies, there are things that exacerbate them, but there's things that can manage them again. And um, there could be a food sensitivity or intolerance going on. Um, you know, and again, as I get to know an individual, to looking at what they're actually eating and doing with their life, I can put things into place that it may not get rid of the problem completely, but it may allow you to manage it, may allow you to understand it better. Um, so you are in control of your health a bit more. What are the sort of first steps for somebody if the you know, if they're basically having some issues that they suspect might be down to food, and I know that, like, you can try the, the complete elimination diet, but for most people, I think, you know, disrupting their, their, their lifestyle that much is just setting them maybe up to fail. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are good first steps if you're sort of having some troubles? Um, well, there's intolerance testing. So if they f- if after a consultation, I suspect that there could be something going on in that respect, there is obviously the option of an elimination diet. And it may be a case of, you know, let's take out one particular area. So it might be taking out dairy. But with the support of me, you know, you go away, do it for a few weeks and come back and see if the, the problem's gone or if it's lessened. Um, the severity of it may have, have, have lessened, if you like. Um, but intolerance testing is possible. It's a little... Uh, pinprick test um, I do them in clinic they take about 45 minutes and somebody can go away with results there and then so my advice would be based around whatever comes up on that test how bad or how you know how severe the results are or how sort of there's results you know that maybe something's popped up but it's not quite a, a severe reaction so we just work around whatever that may be but again going back to focusing about putting 
things into your diet before taking them out you know focus on what you can have rather than what you can't have because I've been there myself but personally you know when I was studying I was the guinea pig at college I got the intolerance test on myself and you know at the time it was very trendy to be gluten-free or wheat-free at the time it was a common thing it was something was very people were very aware of that but it came up for me dairy and eggs and they were really a big staple in my diet and it was a real shock and as much as I was learning about nutrition I still didn't have a great diet at that point I was still learning about it um so for me to have to cut those out at the time you know it was just uh, it was it was almost um I was distraught if you like you know I was like what am I going to eat I didn't eat enough vegetables I was it was I was then faced with taking these things out before putting things back in and you know I've so I've gone through that process that I've sometimes put clients through but I can I've been in their shoes I understand it so I you know it's very softly softly and I ask what they're happy to do and it may be that they don't even say if dairy was to come up for instance but maybe don't get out of the diet completely over the space of that month it's, it's step by step you know looking at the big guns let's get the milk out from the cereal maybe using an alternative um or you know it, it's just small changes and again i'm there to support them the, the whole process um but as i say i've been there myself but it's actually once you start looking at what you can have rather than what you can't have can make a real big difference and then if you've cut that food out and you, you start to, you go, yeah, I do feel a little bit better. You know, I think my stomach's a bit more settled. You know, you start to see the results. So when you maybe put that food back in and you see the negative impact it can have, it can just bring home to you going, it's not worth it. You know, sometimes it's not worth putting that food in and you realise, oh, I don't have to have these tummy pains or I don't have to have these headaches or whatever it may be, that symptom that that individual's had. I know now, I've, I know my limits you know, the upside of an intolerance is that you can actually, in some instances, heal the body from the intolerance. Whereas allergies, you can't really necessarily do that. So I now know my limits. If I have eggs or if I, I do have dairy, I know how much I can tolerate before I start to get any any sort of health, negative health effects, if you like. Um, so it's just managing it and again, listening to the body, you know, not going overboard and, and, and work, living and working within your limits. Um, because the the negative effects aren't worth it. You mentioned gluten there, and obviously, like in recent years, it's become uh, well, you know, gluten free and everything's become really popular. Uh, and I, I saw a backlash towards that as well, where in some instances people were saying like, "All oh, these folk are going gluten free, but they've not got is it celiac?" Mm-hmm. Um, but then I've seen evidence in, in more recent years to suggest that gluten intolerance isn't just this binary thing. And in fact, you could be sensitive to it without being diagnosed as like intolerant to it. So what's the, what's the deal with that? So celiac, obviously celiacs cannot have gluten in any shape or form. And even if their food is contaminated with it, it can have a real impact on their health, um, make them really, really ill. Um, but there is um, a a condition if you like or a term if you like um non-celiac gluten sensitivity so you don't have to be celiac to have a negative impact from gluten gluten can be quite inflammatory um it causes the cells of the gut to produce an enzyme called zonulin and that zonulin causes the gut to actually become leaky so if you think about your gut as a sieve those gaps those holes that should allow food particles and things through or or completely optimally digested food particles through larger particles can actually get through when those gaps become become bigger um, and they can then drive inflammation and have other implications in your health 
So gluten, will you benefit from going gluten-free? Some people really do, more so than they'd realise because they're not necessarily celiac. Um, gluten can have a, a negative effect on somebody's moods if they're already got quite a sensitive, um, you know, maybe prone to sort of depression or bipolar disorder, that kind of thing. Gluten can have an impact on that. Um, so, you know, take you and I, for instance, I do have gluten. Um, I don't have masses of it. I will also, I will choose other grains over wheat and gluten products. But if I have it, it doesn't have a massive impact on my health. But you have to remember, gluten-free products are still a processed product. You know, gluten-free bread, gluten-free pasta, they are still processed and aren't necessarily a healthier option. But for someone who's celiac, it's, it's, it's essential. Um so if someone says to me, should I go gluten-free, they can benefit from it. But again, it comes very much down to the individual. Um, gluten-free products are now very commercial. They're expensive. Um, so you can always go for things like brown rice instead of you know, going for a gluten-free pasta. So there's lots of non-gluten products that you don't have to pay the price for as well. So you can reduce it without having to cut it out and still benefit from it. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Organic Life, a podcast for those interested in eating and living in a healthier, more sustainable way. Please make sure you're subscribed on your podcast listening app of choice. That way, new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. You'll find our website and the show notes at organiclife.me and you can get in touch with the show via email at hello at organiclife.me. We always welcome feedback, suggestions and requests for future topics and guests you'd like to hear from. Right, that's me. I'm off for a gluten-free chocolate donut. Please don't tell Carrie. And I'll see you on the next episode.